you know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with, and don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. guys today I want to talk about what it means to be a crossover trainer Um, and I'm going to talk about why maybe we shouldn't be so hyper focused on helping people cross over or even on helping um, the industry cross over but rather on just good clean training practices instead so I'm just going to tell you my crossover story. I am a crossover trainer. And that means that's kind of a commonly used phrase that in uh, kind of the positive reinforcement-based dog training circles, we use that phrase to mean people who did not come to dog training via positive reinforcement-based methods, but came to dog training through maybe some other methodology. Um, usually it means people used to use aversive tools and corrections and don't anymore. So that's usually kind of what a crossover trainer is. Um, I consider myself a crossover trainer because I learned a lot about dog training right, you know, right off the bat, I was really excited and interested in dog training. Um, and by off the bat, I mean, when I was like nine, 10 years old, And so I just started out at the local library reading every book they had on dog training. Um, And unfortunately, what that meant was that I was reading The Monks of New Skate. Um, And it meant that I was even even reading about the Keeler method. And if you guys don't know what these things are, that's fine. But, you know, the Keeler method was kind of the first quote-unquote method of dog training. And it it is solid operant conditioning principles. But it is not very nice. <laughs> um, there's, you know, every dog is on a choke chain in a six foot lead and you do not start training the dog until they're six months old because you are going to 
really be hard on them physically and food is only ever used as a distraction and toys are pretty much never even mentioned. So I read about that. Um, got some ideas from that book about training with food that made training with food seem not attractive, seem not like a good idea. Um, and then the monks of New Skeet really still emphasize today the dog is a pack animal and you, the owner, as the quote-unquote pack leader. And they've got, um, they're kind of known for being the first to popularize whether or not they invented it or not. They popularized what we know as the alpha rollover, meaning you're the alpha and you flip the dog over and force it into submission, essentially. And the alpha roll, you guys, it is alive and well. So if you are horrified right now, then you have led kind of a sheltered dog training existence and that's good. But I mean, I even worked for a veterinarian who standard practice for her was to show clients how to alpha roll their puppies um, in the exam room. And that wasn't that long ago. That was probably uh, 10-ish years ago now, 10 or 11 years. So fast forward, I actually got a dog to train and started taking some classes. And the trainers that I first learned from were what you might call quote-unquote balanced trainers, meaning they used food and toys as motivators, but then also used aversive tools and corrections. And I have to say that... Um, Particularly my competitive obedience mentors were and are, um, one of them has since passed, but one of them um, is still alive and well and out competing. Um, they were kind to me. They were some of the best teachers I ever had. And they taught me to be a good trainer with great timing. Um, and they also emphasize, you know, not, not being the quote unquote boss or anything like that, but having a good solid working relationship with your dog. And if I hadn't had a severely aggressive dog on my hands, a dog that was very aggressive, not never to people, but towards pretty much every other dog he would meet, I don't think I would have looked further. Um, I think I would have pretty much stayed in that realm of quote-unquote balance, so some corrections and some reinforce, some positive reinforcement. Um, but I had a dog that presented a little more challenge than the average dog did, and so that forced me to look a little bit further. And I will say that I got really, really good at the dog training that they taught me to do, and I was very competitive with the dog that I'm talking about in obedience, and I was competitive with him not only because of my smart use of positive reinforcement, but because of my smart use of corrections, I was good at it. Um, and he liked obedience. He was not moving around that ring like a slug. He was prancy and he was joyous and he moved quickly and he, he looked like a dog that was having a nice time and we had a good working relationship. Um, so why would I change? And that's something that... I think we all need to consider um, why would a trainer change something that isn't going poorly for them? If what they're doing is going well, why would they change? It's basically the if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. 
And the reason that I changed was because, not because what I was doing wasn't working, but because occasionally um, the fallout would, would crop up and I would start to see the ill effects of the fallout. So meaning um, my dog would not necessarily understand a correction that I was applying, wouldn't understand necessarily how to fix it, how to make me not apply that correction. And then I would see other behaviors that I didn't want. So those moments really bothered me. And I had a moment um, because while training that dog, I got my hands on a copy of The Culture Clash by Gene Donaldson. And I'm not sure why I found this book, um, but I'm really glad that I did. Because in reading it, it became extremely clear to me that we didn't actually need corrections to train the dog. So what I had been taught was you feed them, praise them, give them toys when they're right. And then you apply a correction when they're wrong. And the correction could be a collar pop. It could be an ear pinch. It could be a whap on top of the head. It was, you know, any number of things. And, you know, depending on the situation, kind of like praise, food, toys were also dependent on the situation. Um, and I was good at that kind of artistic part of it as well. And when I was reading the culture class, it became clear to me that the correction side of it was just kind of extra baggage. And that actually, if my dog held a sit stay, it wasn't, or if my dog, you know, did the sit stay and then the recall and then the drop, you know, I, I had the specific revelation practicing drop on recall, um, I came to realize that if my dog broke the stay prematurely, he was just trying to guess what the next thing was and he wasn't, you know, being defiant or naughty or wrong or bad. And that I could give him a collar correction to make him stay. Or I could just put him back and then reward him with a cookie when he did stay. And I had this revelation that I had those two options and that if I used the correction, then I got some fallout, I got some hesitancy when I did call him. Whereas if I just withheld food, put him back, and then gave him food the next time for the right thing, I got the right thing the next time. And I didn't get any of that fallout. And it was a specific revelation in that moment in a drop on recall. I was in obedience class having um, just this revelation because I'd been training the I'd been reading the culture clash and I realized that the correction wasn't necessary that the correction actually just created additional fallout and that if I applied the reinforcement appropriately I would not only get the behavior I was after but I wouldn't get the other garbage and that was a huge tipping point for me and I first changed in sports um I started to apply positive reinforcement-based techniques without corrections to both agility and obedience for my dog. And I didn't, you know, obedience had a lot more corrections laid into it than agility anyway. So all I saw in agility was that he was faster and more willing to work when I just said, hey, are you working today or not? Do you want the Frisbee? Do you want to run fast or not? I'm not going to make you. He got faster. So boom, I was, I was converted in that moment in agility. 
In obedience, I actually eventually retired um, the dog kind of prematurely because he developed a problem. And I actually didn't know how to fix it without corrections. Um, I know how I would today, but he developed a problem that I didn't really know how to fix without corrections. And specifically, and this is something people kind of don't keep in mind enough, um, specifically when a dog has been trained with corrective techniques, you can't just stop the corrections and just have that piece not there. You have to actually replace that piece with some other kind of communication system. And I wasn't there yet in my understanding. And so I chose to just retire him instead. He had half of a UDX. Um, he was arch pointed. And this problem cropped up and I was training. Iggy was a baby at this time. And I just said, you know what? This isn't worth it to me anymore. He's just not going to compete in obedience anymore. And we both kind of frolicked into the sunset and never went back. Um, and it was fine. And then I kind of started to convert um, in my pet dog training. My life type training is that, you know, no, you don't need um, a bunch of corrections here and there to quote unquote fix dog behavior problems. And then the last place that I converted was in... Um, aggression problems because Kelsa was so aggressive and I had managed his aggression with corrections his whole life. And again, I'm not going to say that I knew what to do about his aggression from that point on, but I did decide to just stop putting him in situations where, that he couldn't handle um, so that I could stop correcting him in general. And so was that perfect? Was that a perfect kind of crossover? No, it wasn't. But understand that you're nobody's ever motivated to fix things that are not broken and nobody's capable of fixing something that they don't know how to fix um and you can't just go from a correction-based program so a program that's got positive reinforcement and corrections to the exact same program without the corrections because if you do that you're actually just leaving off half of the communi communication with the dog your entire work from the ground up has to be different if you're not going to involve those corrections. And the school that I was training at, I wasn't, I did not work there. I was training my dog there. Um, had, there were a couple of trainers who had kind of gotten into clicker training and they were learning and they were really excited about not using corrections anymore. And what was fascinating was how everybody else was like, yeah, well, it's not working. Look, look how poorly their dog is doing. And that was really unfair because they just didn't have the whole picture yet. They were really just trying to do all the same stuff they did before, but without corrections. And it's just not the same. It's, it doesn't actually work like that. So how do we convince people? Understand that we might change things in, in a tiered kind of system. So saying the first thing that we don't need all that stuff in anymore is sports. Um, but then we can start to say, and I'm also going to not use it here or here. Um, and I'm going to have different programs that replace the need for those things. And then, so I kind of went through a, a process in crossing over. Cause like I said, I had these mentors who I loved. Um, I love them like they were parents of mine. Um, they really took care of me in a lot of ways and they, were, like I said, very kind teachers. 
And when I started to kind of buck what they had taught me, that was uncomfortable. Um, I think it was uncomfortable for them. It was definitely uncomfortable for me. And so I just kind of left. Um, Because the first thing that started to happen was I got kind of dogmatic and annoying. Um, I got really excited about clicker training and really excited about no corrections and just got a little bit on my high horse about it. Um, and was pretty obnoxious and that was kind of phase one of my crossover. Phase two was silence. I just left. I just left the obedience world. I just stopped talking to people in agility that I learned from originally who were still using corrections. I just... I actually took a solid year off of any dog training competitions, um, which was the first time that had happened to me in years and years at that point, probably almost 10 years at that point, Um, until I could find the kind of kindness and compassion to come back and recognize that everybody at any given dog show is doing the very best they can with what they know at the time. And is that harder for me to say about some people than others, people who I think have access to good information and are still choosing to do what they've always done? Yeah, that is harder for me to say about those people. But I got to rewind and go, but if in their mind nothing is broken, why would they fix it? Why would they? Because this isn't really about ethics. I think that going a positive reinforcement route is the quote unquote right thing to do. I do. But to me, it's still not really about ethics because dogs that get to compete in dog sports, generally speaking, are the best cared for, best loved dogs in the world, no matter what the training methods are that people are using. And I'm not saying that that stuff is okay, but I am saying that there are bigger problems in the world than people who use a prong collar to train healing, honestly, Um, et cetera, et cetera. And... I started to be able to kind of inspire real change through kindness and and compassion. And now, not even interested in changing anyone. It's not a priority for me today at all. What is a priority for me is helping people train their dogs well and helping people use good, clean mechanics and um, good systems of communication and, and helping people to meet their dog's needs so that their dogs can show up and be the best kind of Um, competitive companion for them that's what's important to me and I think most crossover trainers have have regrets about what they've done Um, I I do I'm like up to my eyeballs in them but they don't they're not helpful regret is not a helpful emotion so I don't take the regret and let it eat away at me and um, you know just feel like a bad person about it I just try to do the best I can every day um, to make up for some things that I may have done in the past that were not in line with my current ethics and probably were not in line with my ethics at the time, but I didn't understand how to do it different or how to do it better. So if you are in the dog sport world and you see a lot of people who you think need to change, Understand that you may be in that phase one of your crossover or your that phase one of your journey where you're dogmatic. And it might be time for you to just kind of back off and get quiet for a while until you can give those people empathy and compassion. Um, because you're not going to help them without it. So 
share your crossover stories with me. Share your non-crossover stories with me. If you have not crossed over, if you first came to dog training in positive reinforcement, let me hear it um, over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.